Offshore wind tends to produce more when the wind is blowing strongly in the winter. But our peak for usage is in the summer month. That's when we turn on our air conditioners. So there's a mismatch there. Hello and welcome to Getting Pacific, where we get specific on trending topics straight from the newsroom at Taiwan Plus. I'm Trevor Tortomasi. And I'm Joey Chow. So, Joey, um, I've got this rubber band here, and if I twist it around, I twist it really, really, really hard, and then I let go, I call this wind power. Okay, wait, don't go away, don't go away. Uh, we're actually talking about wind power today. I was wondering where you're going with that, Trevor. Yeah, and the, uh, the sigh that you let out of your mouth after that bad joke, that's called wind power, but that's probably not enough to power your house. So we harness that awesome power of the wind gods with huge turbines. They can be anywhere from like 60 to 120 meters tall, or around 200 to 400 feet, and they're only getting bigger and bigger as we do more research and development, but they're also really expensive and tough to build. Yeah. Today we're going to talk about these monsters, and we're going to hear from industry experts, find out just how much energy we're getting from this invisible force we call wind energy, how different countries are using it, and did you know that Taiwan actually has a geological advantage when it comes to farming wind energy? No? Well... You will by the time we're done with today's episode. Oh, spoilers. Okay. <laughs> geological or windological. In the future episodes, we'll be diving into hydropower, solar power, geothermal energy, and even nuclear energy. Although that topic can be a little radioactive, pun intended. <laughs> Welcome to the new age. But we should clarify one thing first. Joey, what's the difference between green energy and renewable energy? Yeah, that's uh, something we need, to, we need to set the table for that first. Basically, green means clean, giving off little to no carbon emissions. Meanwhile, renewable is the stuff that, well, renews. It doesn't run out like powers from water, the sun, and of course, wind. So nuclear energy is green, is highly efficient with almost no carbon emissions, but it's not renewable because it uses uranium, which is finite. Yeah. So as countries continue to talk about energy goals, um, especially amid COP28 in December of 2023, so recently, there's been a bit of drama surrounding green energy infrastructure, especially for wind power, because building these gigantic turbines is expensive. And some countries, including Taiwan, are debating whether they should import turbine construction or focus on making their own. But before we dive into the news, let's get some quick perspective on just how much wind power is being used around the world. Quiz time. Okay, here we go. So in 2022, the top three producers of energy, just energy in general, were the US, China, and India. What do you think was the order in which they produced the most and least? Oh, uh, the most U US, India, China. Which was the most energetic. Energy. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say China probably produced the most energy because a lot of industries would require it and there's a lot of people there. I'm going to say the US is a close second, also a very industrial country, but not as many people as China and India. So China, US, India. Yep, that's correct. Oh, yes. China is a powerhouse. China's total energy production bypassed the US actually for the first time in 2011. And then just 11 years later in 2022, it produced almost double that of the US. Wow. So the US produces more than double that of India as well. Of course, China is producing more energy than almost everywhere else. So 
let's level the playing field and focus on like the percentages. So for perspective, which country do you think gets the highest percentage of its energy from renewable resources? Oh gosh, uh, I'm gonna say China because they have been trying to do that, and when the Chinese get down to doing something, they do it rather quickly. And the U.S. I've heard some stories about the U.S. is always difficult because different states have different laws. It's really hard to get everyone to go after the same goal. So I'm going to say China has the most renewable energy. Okay, it's a good guess because China does have a massive amount of renewable energy. But、mm-hmm. the answer for percentage is. Iceland. Oh wait, you were talking about countries in the world. Countries in the world, yes. Okay, so out of all the countries in the world, which one do you think is number two? Oh, I, I thought you were going to ask me number one again, so I could get <laughs> yeah, it right. Yeah, so you could get it right. <laughs>、uh, it's in the same neighborhood.、Uh, number two, same neighborhood.、Uh, Greenland. Green.、Uh, fun guess.、Uh, it's on the other side of Iceland. It's Norway with seventy-one percent, and then after that is Sweden with fifty percent, and China.、Uh, like I said, a good guess. China reports around forty-seven percent. Wow, that's so, pretty good. Final question, driving us back to today's core topic. Topic. Which country do you think gets the highest percentage of its energy from wind power? Well, that would be somewhere with the most wind.、Uh, I know they make a lot of them in continental, like France, Germany. The more wind power companies you look into, the more you will realize are in Denmark,、oh. and、uh, that's the answer. Denmark、uh, has an incredible forty-seven percent of its energy coming from wind power. Wow! So some of its largest wind power companies include Vestas, Siemens, and Orsted.、Um, and you'll probably hear those names whenever you're reading about like wind power companies, especially some of those are. Making wind turbines here in Taiwan. The European countries I've mentioned are not the world's biggest energy powerhouses. So, for some final perspective from the energy giants in 2022, China around 47% renewable, 9% from wind. U.S. 14% renewable, not nearly as much, 4% wind. And India 20% renewable. Four percent wind. Okay, so tisk 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 USA. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But let's talk about goals. So the U.S. is targeting eighty percent renewable energy generation by twenty thirty, and aims to be one hundred percent carbon neutral by twenty thirty five. But in terms of meeting goals. Not great so far, but let's keep at it. Meanwhile, China has already met its goal of 50% green energy this year, more than a year earlier than its due date of 2025. Wow. So, what about Taiwan? Bringing it back to where we are in Taiwan, 8.7% renewable, 1.2% wind. That was in 2022, and the situation keeps changing. Well, Taiwan's president Tsai Ing-wen's government has set some ambitious energy transition goals. The government hopes to raise the proportion of renewable energy from what you just said, 8.7 percent, to 20 percent of Taiwan's energy mix by 2025. So by the time of recording this podcast, two years from now, basically, or maybe one and a half. So that's ambitious.、And、with elections coming up,、uh, at least at the time of recording, we will see if we get any updates with the. Next administration. So, also in recent news, Taiwan's wind power infrastructure has faced some difficulty with wind turbines recently, as two turbines in one offshore wind farm were out of commission for more than three months.、Uh, but it looks like the contractor will pay compensation for missed energy goals. And in better news, Taiwan's state-owned power company Tai Power has reported that the country's wind power generation capacity in August of 2023 had more than doubled year over year. That's from the same time one year prior. And Taiwan has seen strong 
strong energy gains from wind power as we head into the winds of winter. Yeah, wind is powerful in winter. And meanwhile, offshore wind farms are still slated for construction off the coast of central Taiwan in the coming years. And these wind farms produce a ton of energy. One of Taiwan's biggest offshore wind farms, which was commissioned by that Danish company we mentioned earlier, Orsted, could reportedly generate enough energy to meet the energy needs of one million households in Taiwan when it's operating at full power in winter. But are wind farms always operating at full power? Well, that's not how it works. So for that, here is Angelica Ong, an independent energy reporter and analyst, who tells us about some of the problems facing Taiwan's wind energy industry. The problem with offshore wind is even though you do have access to all these wind resources, it is rather out of phase with our energy needs in terms of the peak demand. Offshore wind tends to produce more when the wind is blowing strongly in the winter, but our peak for usage is in the summer month. That's when we turn on our air conditioners. So there's a mismatch there. And we're also having the problem of Taiwan being an isolated grid. So in Europe, where they use a lot of wind power, they have a lot of different countries connected into one big grid. So when the wind is blowing in one part of the continent, but not the other, they can even out the power use by sharing the grid. Uh, here in Taiwan, uh, we are an isolated grid. And so whatever electricity we're using right now to power this interview, to power our cell phones, to power um, TSMC's factories, all that has to be generated a split second before it is used unless it is stored and power storage is extremely expensive this makes renewable penetration even bigger challenge for taiwan yeah so it seems that taiwan not being able to export its wind energy is a disadvantage. Yeah, but for this geographical disadvantage, Taiwan also has its own geographical advantages. We spoke with Anthony Van Dyke, Taiwan's head of operations for Boston Energy, which provides wind farm technicians for operations, maintenance, reassembly, and inspection. And I asked Anthony, why is Taiwan so popular for its wind energy? So Taiwan's advantages aren't only cultural or political or economic. There are also geographic advantages for being based here. One of the reasons is because Taiwan is in a subtropical region and it's known for strong and consistent winds, especially in the Taiwan Strait. Panggu especially, it's world famous already for kite surfers and wind surfers. They consistently have international championships held there. So the wind here is fantastic. We also have fairly shallow waters and strong currents, which is also a good thing for an offshore wind farm. Helping things even further is we've got a lot of mountains and it creates sort of a, a funnel effect because, you know, our mountains run north-south and it sort of channels the wind through the, the Taiwan Strait and it actually accelerates the wind. It just gives Taiwan very consistent uh, winds, especially in the wintertime. Uh, Boston Energy, where we have our APAC headquarters here in Taipei, as does Simon Gamesa. Vestas has a, a huge sense here. Most of the major wind companies have a strong presence in Taiwan, and there's a few reasons for that. Uh, the government has been fairly long-sighted in, in developing this, and partly the just the culture of Taiwan is very foreigner-friendly. Compared to a place like China, where the government views foreigners with some suspicion, 
and even other places like in Southeast Asia, say Thailand or Vietnam or Philippines, which are lovely countries, but it's a little bit harder for foreigners to assimilate. Yeah, so like if you've ever stood between two buildings and you feel that sudden gust of wind blowing a little more powerfully than it would out in the field, the the wind running through there, like this wind tunnel that created between Taiwan and mainland China, uh, it's a great place to build these wind farms, like he said. While people are building those, Taiwan is a really nice place to be. Yeah, while you are working away on the wind turbines, it's nice to have a collection of some of the greatest cuisines in Asia, and Taiwan has a lot of Korean, Japanese, and Chinese food. So why pick one when you can follow three? Maybe they came for the wind, but stay for the food. But let's hear more from Anthony and Angelica. What are some of the hurdles that these wind turbine manufacturers have to get over? Especially with onshore wind, the, the NIMBY factor, NIMBY, which is N-I-M-B-Y and stands for not in my backyard, is sort of the universal tendency for people to think that, okay, something like renewable energy is great, but nobody really wants to have a turbine in their backyard. That sentiment is particularly strong in Taiwan. In Europe already, they have gotten very used to the idea of mixed-use spaces. So in semi-industrial areas, in ports, even in like supermarket parking lots, a lot of people think, okay, this would be a great place to have a wind turbine because you know nobody really cares about the atmosphere of a superstore's parking lot. But in Taiwan, people aren't used to that yet. So that's creating some difficulty. It's easy to find to put a turbine in an unpopulated space. Uh, Nobody minds that. But as soon as you start talking about mixed use, then people start to have opinions. When it comes to other issues that Taiwan faces, and this would be uh, for onshore and offshore, uh, localization has been a pretty big challenge. Now, Some companies, or like mine in particular, we view it as a bit of a blessing because we get to expand our global workforce by bringing more Taiwanese people into the industry. But when it comes to suppliers, especially for materials, it can be difficult because on the one hand, you know, you get LCRs, um, which are uh, local content requirements. The government wants to promote business for Taiwan and maybe, you know, create more job opportunities for Taiwanese people. But it doesn't always have that effect because sometimes the, the, the local market isn't ready to really compete globally and it ends up raising prices. So I wouldn't say localization has been handled smoothly. I understand the Taiwanese government's desire for it, but I think it could be implemented a little bit better. Uh, another thing that they, you know, that they're always hoping about is that there will be more technology transfer, that we can have, you know, local uh, industry clusters where Taiwanese companies can, you know, serve the the Asia Pacific and even the global wind industry. But the problem is a lot of these technologies aren't readily available. They already are are patent protected, or you know, they have uh, a lot of the technology. It's proprietary information. And the European companies aren't going to give that up so easily. So I think Taiwan needs to sort of temper its expectations for for localization. That was Anthony Van Dyke speaking again about some of the difficulties of installing wind turbines in the Taiwan Strait. And here's Angelica Ong again to speak on some similar points. 
Unfortunately, it is a very difficult time for offshore wind because we've chosen to localize a lot of the components in Taiwan, meaning mandating the production of things like blades and towers and nacelles, and they haven't been so efficient. A Made in Taiwan foundation can be so much more expensive than one made in Korea, for instance, and that's made Taiwan's offshore wind farms the most expensive in the world. I'd like to think, however, that it's not too late to course adjust on this if Taiwan can put in the work and make the adjustments so that they are attractive price. There's a lot of buyers for that green power. The market is there. The demand is there. We just need to somehow match up the projects with the demand. And um, hopefully that can be the impetus for us to move forward to a certain degree. I have to say that the Thai government did a lot right with regards to offshore wind. We are the leader in non-China APEC when it comes to offshore wind development. And from 2016, when she took office till this year, we've made a tremendous amount of progress. We have about one gigawatt of capacity in the water. To me, that still stands as a terrific achievement. And don't forget, 1.21 gigawatt is all you need to go back into the future. 1.21 gigawatt. <laughs> yeah, jokes aside. Uh, firstly, impact to wildlife or to local residents will always be a debate facing any major constructions. But it seems both Anthony and Angelica can agree that localization, while done with good intentions to protect Taiwan's local wind industry, in the short term, seems to be adding to Taiwan's overall wind energy cost, which can discourage incentives for growth. Yeah, and a lot of research is going into making these turbines more sturdy, more lightweight, and more cost efficient, of course. But amid the massive amounts of research and development and the race to produce these huge turbines for clients around the earth, some wind power companies are seeing manufacturing faults, uh, and some projects have faced some delays, and some are at risk of being abandoned if they can't get government subsidies to make up for the huge startup costs, as wind turbines are estimated to have increased in price on average worldwide by about 20 or 30 percent since 2020. Mm, and people want energy and they want it now. But renewable energy infrastructure is an investment. Yeah. So looking back at what we've talked about today, uh, wind power is a good investment. And once it's built, once these wind turbines are established onshore or offshore um, and gone through all of the bureaucratic processes that are required, uh, they produce pretty solid amounts of energy. One gigawatt can power about one million homes. And that's a huge help to Taiwan's power grid. And if only we could figure out a way to share that grid with someone close by, then we can export energy and perhaps make some money on it. But listening to our episode today, what do you think about when energy? Are there technological wonders in wind turbine construction or more efficient ways to operate the energy grid from where you are? You can share with us. You can find me on Facebook or Instagram with Joey Taipei. And I'm on all platforms as Trebotsky. But more importantly, if you want news from Taiwan and around the world, head to TaiwanPlus.com or find Taiwan Plus on whatever platform you like best. And that's it for this episode of Getting Pacific. I'm Joey Chow. I'm Trevor Tortomasi. I hope we got Pacific enough for you and see you next time.